Hey, if you would please open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, where we left off last week. Tonight, the topic is pretty clear, and that is pride. I call it pride alert. Uh, Because we should always be on alert when pride creeps in. And it can be so subtle. Things we think are just no big deal because we're supposed to have pride. Don't we? Don't we have to have pride in what we do and pride to do this? And and we should have tremendous, tremendous pride for what we've achieved. And we see that many times, especially the culture or the work environment that we come from. But that pride can actually be tremendous sin in the eyes of God. As we look at this, we're going to see God's work of building humility. And he is in the business of building humility in our lives. I don't know if you know that. He is building humility in our lives. He wants to have that a dominant factor within our lives, a character in our lives that describes us. And it starts here, and we see in Deuteronomy, how he got working and building humility in Israel's life, the nation of Israel, during the wilderness wanderings, before and as he was bringing them into the promised land. We see here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and if you look at the very first two verses, where God is going to reveal what he was doing in those 40 years in the wilderness. Many times asked, why did they go around in circles, around and around and around and around, as we've been studying through the the Torah, through the first five books, we know the exact reason why. We get a little bit more clarity here in Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe. Observe means to do, to apply to your life. Not just, oh, I see that. Oh, that's interesting. I see. No, no. And the word here is actually see and do. It's observe. It is actually an active. You must careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers, and you shall remember, key word, remember that the Lord, your God, led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? To humble you and test you. To know what was in your heart and whether you would keep his commandments or not. So the very first two verses of chapter 8 tells us very clearly that God called Israel to a complete obedience to him. Not to anybody else, but to him. Not even to Moses. Only Moses was obedient to Moses because they were obedient to what God told Moses who told them what to do. The obedience was to be based on remembering what God had done among them in the wilderness. Why are we going to be obedient to God? God says, because remember what I've done for you. I brought you out of bondage. I brought you out of Egypt. I have bring you and set you a, a separate and distinct from the rest of the world. And I'm taking you into the promised land. You are my chosen people. That is why you are going to be obedient to me. I'm your God. I'm the Jehovah. I'm the, I'm the king of kings. I'm the father here. You have to listen to me and be obedient. That's what I'm saying. And as a Christian today, 
As a child of God, you're born again, you're regenerated. As a Christian, our complete obedience is based on remembering what Jesus has done on the cross. It's the finished work of Jesus on the cross, and he lives and reigns, and he's coming back for us. That is why we are obedient. Because of what he did, he purchased us, he pardoned us, he took us and brought us out of bondage, out of sin, completely erasing all of our sin with his blood. How can we not be obedient to the Heavenly Father? It's the same thing here for Israel. And he's brought them out and to humble you. God humbled Israel. He brought them out to a place where all they could do was completely depend upon him for survival in that wilderness. That wilderness experience brought the nation of Israel to their knees to completely depend upon God or they would die. They wouldn't survive without him. And they had nothing else and no one else they could count on except for God in the wilderness. And God does that in our own lives. He'll bring us to a point in our lives that we have no one and nothing and no organization. No one is going to bring you through this except God. And he's going to bring you. If you haven't experienced it, it's only a matter of time. He will bring you to that point. Something that God's work of humbling is accomplished just by bringing us into a humbled place. Oh, God has placed me in this very humbled place and I can have to be humble. No, no, no. That's not what he's doing it for. He's bringing you into a humbled place with the right heart. That is where God is doing in our lives. Our heart is has to be right in a humbled place that God really is concerned about. That's what he's working through. Because we may be in a humbled place, but longing for something different. Our heart may not be right, even though we're at a humbled place. We may believe that God owes something different to us. I know God has brought me into this place, but I think God is going to give me something different or take me somewhere else and I should have something. Your heart's not right. You're not completely surrendered in obedience and completely relying upon it. You want something different than what God has done or is doing. Instead, God wants us to be content in the humble place he puts us in. I always tell people, you've heard me say it a long time, learn from the test. When he's brought you this point of being humbled you in this one spot, this one place, and you have nowhere to turn except for him, learn to be content and receive where God has you. If not, he's going to bring you full circle in the wilderness experience. He's going to circle you right back around. And it, it was going to take 40 years to get you to have a content, humbled life for God. Do you want to circle for 40 years wondering why God is bringing you back to the same situation over and over? Because you didn't learn the first time. He's going to continue to do it because he's going to do that work in your heart. I know we don't like to hear that, but it's true. It's only a matter of time. Not only does God humble Israel here, we see in the scriptures, but he also, God tested Israel. It wasn't, it wasn't because he didn't know what was happening in their heart. God knows all things. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart. You can say one thing, but he knows what your heart is saying. 
You can fool other people, but you can't fool God when it comes to those types. So when he tests Israel, is because they didn't know their hearts. That's why God tested them. He says, you think you know your heart. You think you know you're all, you're humbled and you're so, so, so right with God. No, he knows your heart. And if he's going to test it, and all he has to do is test it, and you'll see what comes out of your mouth and how you react will, deter, will really show you yourself, you. In those tests, if you really are completely dependent and obedient to God. When you think, he'll test it, and then we'll see. And then you're like, oh, I thought I was humble. Now I realize I'm not humble. Oh, I don't think I was prideful. And then he puts you in a position, and you realize, oh, I'm very prideful. Oh, I don't, I'm a very patient person. <laughs> you ever say that? I'm patient. What do you, I'm a patient com- compared to my, the guy to the left and the right. You always, we always compare ourselves to the guy to the left and the right. God says, no, no, you never compare yourself to left or right. You only compare it to me. <laughs> and let me test that. And let me show you and put you in a humble spot. And are you going to be content with God in that humble spot through the testing to realize you need to change? That's how God works here. And he did it with Israel. He does it with us. Because we had this tendency to have this overestimation or highly esteem ourselves in many things. We have a tendency to think more highly of ourselves in certain things than we really should. And so God tests those. And he tests Israel, he'll test us. In verses 3, 3 through 5, we see that God's going to educate Israel. <laughs> Not only does God humble and, and test you, but he turns around and edu- educates you. He brings awareness to you so you can learn, right? Look at this. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger. God allowed you to hunger in the wilderness. And he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that the man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. So in verses 3 through 5, we see right in the very beginning, he says, so he humbled you. All of God's education begins right there. Some never even make it past this first essential step of learning to be humble. Israel had to rely on God beyond anything they can ever imagine. If if we were not humbled and not teachable like they were at times in those 40 years, look what resulted in them. But the very first step that God says, okay, let me educate you. Let me humble you to understand that I allowed you to hunger because that was a test to see, will you trust me for your basic provisions of food? Will you, will you trust me? You say you trust me. You say you love me. You, will you be obedient and do what I ask? I even gave you something that no man has ever seen before called manna. I produced that, and you would never even guess how God was going to provide for you. And when I did it, you just had to be obedient and follow my rules when it came to dealing with manna. And they didn't even do that well at times. 
But if we are not humble and not teachable, there is no point in the rest of God's education to move you forward. If you're not humble enough to be teachable and to move forward, why would he move on until you get to that point where you're humbled and teachable? It's like children, right? You have to be patient with them because they're not always teachable. And sometimes you don't move forward until you wait for them to humbly and be willing to obey and to move forward. So you test them. You bring them through a situation like God will bring you with you until you come to a point where you're teachable. And he did that through, I allowed you to hunger. I fed you manna. The next, the next kind of step after you're humble is that God's grade of God's education is bringing you to a point of complete, total dependence upon the Lord for your life. Israel had to rely on God beyond their own knowledge. Beyond their own knowledge. Which what he says here, which you did not know. Beyond their own ability. They couldn't produce manna. God had to produce that for them. Meaning you're in complete dependence upon God. That he might make you know that God shall not live by bread alone. So what was he teaching them? You're not to rely on by bread alone. What does that mean? I don't know about you, but I like bread. I like really good bread. Sourdough bread, preferably. Made with my loving wife's hands. It's even better. But God was teaching something. From a negative perspective, he was teaching a lesson to help them to learn a very valuable lesson here that from a positive perspective he had to learn that man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. He, many times people rely upon the material things of this world. What they can get, what they can produce, what they can make, what they have control over. I can do this, I can do this, I'm so organized. And, and you rely upon those things. But God says, no, no, no. I want you to get to a point where you rely upon every word that proceed, proceeds out of my mouth. You don't sit there and go, oh, I know what to do, and I'm going to do this, and I can have that. No, no. He wants us to get to a point in our lives where he says, God, what do you want me to do next? I can see certain things that I, I can lean on my own understanding and do, but how can I rely upon you and let you direct my steps? Let me you direct my thoughts of what I need to do or not do, because what makes sense to me may completely go against your will. And it may make logical sense, and it may all these things, but do you allow God to speak in your life and let, direct your steps, or do you think you have complete control? Sadly, many still live by bread alone today. What does that mean? Living only for the material things of this world. That's what it means. We do not live by bread alone. We do not live by what we have and can get and buy and purchase and what we possess. Many people today, how are you doing in life? Oh, you should see my house. You should see my cars. You should see my job. You should see my boats. You should see my motorcycle. You should All the things, the material things... To find a man who lives by bread alone and not by every word of the Lord. That's what he's teaching them in, in the wilderness here. For what can we 
be bought or sold or earned or possessed materially is what people live by. And that's very sad because those things are all just going to burn anyway. They're all temporary anyway. They're all going to rot and rust and, and de de decay, and it's only a matter of time they're gone. So why would you base your life upon what you possess materially and perceive to gain? Because God says here, no, you should be living by every word that I have compared to what the material things are. And this statement, as you see in the Greek or even in the Hebrew, it's a command. This is not something you let me debate and decide or not. No, this is a command he's saying to them. It's a simple st statement of fact. Man shall not live by bread alone. You may exist by material things alone, but you will not live. Anyone thinking that they can live for bread alone, live for the material things of this world, are actually a living dead. Some don't live by God's word. They actually fight against God's word. They literally argue with the Bible. They will actually change the Bible. They will rewrite the Bible. They will water down the Bible. They will justify why the word of God, they don't have to follow this section, only this section they like. Why? Because they only live by what they will be willing to accept and not be a complete obedience to God's word. So it's easy. People just say, I don't believe it. I think it's just man-written. Man because they, they don't have faith. They have religion, but they don't have faith. Because they do not believe that the word of God is the inherent word of God and completely from God by the power of the Holy Spirit given to man to write down these words for us. So if you don't want to live it, you don't want to be completely dependent upon God's word, you just rationally and, you know, walk it off and find some guru to justify why you can, don't have to listen to the word of God. That is someone you're talking to. When someone talks like that, you're talking to a non-believer regardless of what they say. They're not a believer in Jesus Christ because if they are, they believe the Bible. It's that simple. It's not my, my that's what the word God, what the word of God says. That's not my opinion, that's God's opinion. And so that's what he's saying to the people. Are you going to live by the material things? Are you going to lean on your own understanding? Are you going to go your own ways, what the world offers and all these things? Or are you really going to be obedient to every word that I have? Because we have to understand, we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, not by every feeling we experience. It's not about feelings. It is about the word of God. Spurgeon says it this way very clearly. You have never received the spiritual life by your own feelings. It was when you believed God's word that you lived. And you will never get an increase of spiritual life and grow in grace by your own feelings or by your own doings. It must still be by your believing the promises and the feeding on the word of God. That's why we teach the word of God, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, because we want to feed upon the word of God because that is what feeds our spirit. That's what we know and understand the promises of God. We do not go by feelings and we do not go by doings. Based, have our basis of our, 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 our relationship with God. 
It's by the trusting solely in the word of God. It is the word of God that is our food and our substance and not our own dreams and imaginations because many people will just live by, oh, did I tell you in the next dream I got? Oh, well, let me tell you about the, the next imagination that I got from God and I think it's of God. And people will chase those. And like They put that equal to the word of God. If it conflicts with the word of God, I guarantee you it wasn't from God. That's pretty simple. People say, what do you think about this dream, Pastor? Oh, how many times I've heard that. I don't know. Tell me your dream. I don't interpret dreams. <laughs> God doesn't give me that ability to give. But I can tell you if it lines up with the word of God or not. And if it lines up with the word of God, I can still say, mm, approach with caution because it doesn't conflict with anything in the word of God. But if it does conflict with the word of God, I can guarantee you with 100%, absolutely don't touch it. Why? Because you go against the word of God, you're going against God himself. Woo! Don't touch it. You find life in every word of God that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord, and we must feed on it day and night. Here a little, and there a little. That's what the scripture says. In verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 8, we see the blessing upon them if they do. It says right here in verse 6, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and promegranates, granites, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. So the word there, therefore, based on everything he just wrote there, he says, therefore, there's the transition, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God. Again, a commandment, just be obedient to the word of God. Don't think you know everything. If Israel would put their focus on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord, then the Lord will take care of all of your material things and bring them into a materially abundant land. He says, if you would just listen and obey, I'm taking you into the promised land. I'm providing you. And he lands this whole series of wonderful promises that you receive. God is going to provide this for you. Will you be obedient? Will you follow him? God is not against material things, except when they be come between you and him. When you take material things and say, God, you know, I really don't need to worship you and gather together in your people's name and gather together in fellowship on a Sunday. I'm going to go out and just use my things that I've got. I'll just worship you, God, on my own. <laughs> well, be careful in your rationalization and justification. God, I really don't need to go on saying, because I really need to work seven days a week because you're really blessing it. No, no, you're just working yourself to death. I mean, you have to be very careful you're not justifying using the material things you're gaining and hindering into the relationship with God. 
If you get in between, now you're playing with fire here because God wanted the material blessing to be an after result of a spiritual obedient Israel. You're spiritually obedient to me. You're following my commandment. I will then decide to bless you. My favorite verse is Matthew 6.33, is it not? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. What is first? Seeking God, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his way of living, his word of how to live this life he's given you. Then he will add to your life. He decides what he's going to add. Not you and I. He decides how materially he's going to bless you and add to your life. Then becomes a warning. We see this in verses eight, in chapter 8, verses 11 through 17. The danger of thinking you know what's best or you already have arrived. Look at what the danger here. Beware. It's very clear. You should underline that when you see the scripture. Beware. Okay, beware. That you do not forget the Lord your God, but not keeping his commandments, by not keeping his commandments, his judgments and his statutes, which I command you today, lest you, when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwelt in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, there's a key words, lifted up, that means pride here. And you forget the Lord your God because you're just living the life, man. Beautiful home, beautiful camel, beautiful goats, beautiful sheep. You got plenty. You got gold. You got, it. You got the, your bracelets on your wife. You got to, the rings. You're just decked out, man. But when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, who led you through this, that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land that where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinting rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, that he might test you to do you, to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Here's the warning. You follow the Lord. You're doing what the Lord's called you to do. He's changed your life. He's brought you out of bondage. You're no longer in habitual sin. You're living for the Lord. Your life is completely entrusted in Him and you're following Him. And God starts blessing you and restoring your life. Restoring relationships. Restoring all kinds of things. And all of a sudden you forget what God has done in your life. And you start thinking in your heart. This is because of my power, my abilities, my intuition, intelligence and wisdom and money and resources and ingenuity and, and hard work and my physique and my strength. And when you start turning it from God did it to I now have, you know, like, you know man has a role in this, you know, God, it didn't happen if I didn't do this. It starts very subtly. 
And all of a sudden it grows and now it becomes, wow. You, you're, you, you really made it, man. Man, this house of yours is beautiful. How did you do it? How did you get it? How did you earn it? Oh, you know, just wisdom, you know, stocks, you know, and my abilities in school, you know, I'm knowledge. You, you just all of a sudden start taking credit because people start praising you. Instead of giving God 100% truly humbled with the right heart, truly believing it's only because of God that you have it. And you have to stay there. If not, beware. For the pride alert is going to, the pride is going to start, alarms are starting to go off. And you must stay humbled because it's a warning right here because you get to in your heart that I, my power, my might, my hand, my ability, I'm the one that gained this wealth. I'm the one that got all this stuff. I'm the one that's achieved all of these things. I'm the one that got to this position in power. That is not a humbled heart, regardless of what you say. Oh, thank you. I'm so humbled. I thank you for this reward. It's, it's, it's a pleasure. That I, I, it's only because of, of the people, you know. <laughs> it's all these people who get these awards. It's like, who gave you that voice to sing to create that record? Who gave you the ability to, to write that Nobel Prize? Who gave you the understanding intellect to be able to actually discover that? Who do we think we are? I always tell people, go back to the very basics. Why does your heart beat? Only because God allows it to be. Why does your mind work? Because only God allows your, mind, your brain to work. Why does your lungs involuntarily go in and out? Because God determines that it's going to go in and out. And he can turn it off at any time, just like he turned it on. And once you get to that simple simplicity... And flow everything from that. Stay humbled, not only in words, but in your heart. That I, apart from him, I can do nothing, the Bible says. Easy to say, do you actually believe it? Because when you get to the point when, when everything is fine in our lives, and we're filled with abundance in our lives, it is not hard to have our hearts filled up with pride. And we can easily forget God and just live this lifestyle of luxury or lifestyle of abundance, a lifestyle of all these material things and just have a grand time every weekend and all throughout the week and just live, live, live and forget it was all his work on our behalf. That's what he's trying to teach Israel. All of this, the reason why you're going to be in the promised land, why you receive all of this, and why you even have these beautiful homes, and have these beautiful orchards, and have all this abundance and security, and all these things, it's because of me. Because of me. It's my power, not your power. It's my might, not your might. It's my hand in your life, not not just not your hands. It's sad because it's so easy for people to say off their lips. But the question is, are you humbled enough to not only say God did it? It's all the blessing of the Lord. 
but actually mean it within your heart. Because your test would be is this. When you're in the circle of your church family, it's so easy to put on the, oh, God did it. Isn't it? God is blessing. God is so good. But what do, you, do you say that same thing when you're at work? In the neighborhood? With the, your heathen and non-believing family? That's the test for us. Verse 18, we see the correcting principle here. How do we correct this? Again, go push back this pride. He says right here in verse 18, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant, which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. He says, you want to go push back pride? You must remember the Lord your God. He's the one that gives. Guess what? Fill in the blank. Everything. It's his power. It's his, his knowledge, his understanding, his wisdom. That's who, how you receive this wealth. That's how you receive the abundance of God. In times of abundance, it's easy to forget the Lord. And that's the challenge he's saying. It's so easy when things are going so well in your life and something is just flowing and you have no really apparent need. You have food. You have shelter. More than you need. More than you have. You have everything's running well. Everything's great. You have money in the savings account, in the banking account. You got investments in it's so easy. The warning is here, beware. Pride does not all come into your life. And then you forget the Lord. And you just, it's a, it's a, he's now, he's no longer dominating your life like it was when you were praying every day, God, I don't know how we're going to pay the bills. I don't know how I'm going to get a job. I don't know how we're going to put the kids through school. I'm not going to. And you're crying out, and the Lord, help us, give us wisdom, understanding. How? What do we do next? What do we do? We buy? Do we sell? Do we do? Do we? Can the car last long enough? Or do we need to recharge the car in now because it's going to cost us more? I mean, these things we used to cry out and think and pray about God. What do we do? Do 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 do? But then all of a sudden, abundance comes. Honey, cars. Two years old. Don't you think the new one we just saw in the commercial, it's time to go upgrade? There's nothing wrong with our car. I know, but it doesn't have the heated everything. We've got to upgrade because we've got to have a little power thing in the back for the people who are in, for the ministry. As we pick up people, take them to church, they've got to have a place to plug their phones in, you know. We've got to upgrade. We can have all kinds of rationalization of why. And we don't even think about it. But God says, it doesn't matter if you have nothing or you have a lot. You need me. You really need me. You need to trust in me. We often think highly of our own hard work and brilliance. Yet we must see that God gives. He gives the body, he gives the mind, gives the brain, he gives the ability, and he gives the talent. It is all God. It's all of God. We must stay in that place every day. And this is why he says that it may establish his covenant, that he may establish his covenant. This reminds us why God has blessed us right here. 
His plan is that it would ultimately further his eternal purpose. Why was he blessing his, the, the, the nation of Israel, his chosen people, to bring them to the fire? So that it had an eternal purpose for the kingdom of God. That's the only reason. It's for eternal purpose. That means, therefore, we have no right to use our material blessings from God to further selfish purposes. It's his stuff. It's his, his wealth, his abilities, his material. What do we do with that for God? That is the question. Instead, we use our resources to advance his kingdom. Why did you get the pay raise? Because God has a plan to work through your life for, for the kingdom. Why did he give you the new job? Why did he do, Why does there seem to be extra every month and everything? Because God wants you to test you and see what you're going to do with his extra resources. It's not for your purpose of selfish purposes. We have to run to remember, it is for his eternal kingdom. As he leads you, that's why we need to ask, Lord, what do you want to do with this? And then finally, we see the penalty of pride. Verses 19 and 20. Then it shall be if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, you so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. So the end here is he gives them the consequences. If you listen and spiritually obey God's commandments and, and let, by every word, there is a blessing that comes. Of God's provision, God's guidance and provision and protection and power and might. All the blessing, everything we want. We will be so content and we'll have no need to. Because all the needs will be met. But if you choose to forget the Lord your God and what he has done and who he is in your life, you're going to follow another God. And that God is of materialism. The God of this world. Demonics and sensual and fleshly things. These are the things that will creep in when you take your mind off of God in heaven and put it on the things of this world and your own lifestyle and everything. It's going to be always dark. It's never good. You may say, oh, I don't see anything wrong with that. I may not be following God 100%, maybe, and everything, but we still not living in darkness. See, you've been deceived because you don't know the word of God. Because if you put your eyes and minds on the things of this world, you're going away from God. We've been studying that in James, have we not? We have to be very careful. We must always keep our, mind, our eyes on, on the Lord because it shall be. It's not something that won't, it, I, that won't happen to me. No, no, it's going to cause problems in your life. It will cause, for them, for Israel, it will be that, that they will surely perish. Now, God doesn't deal with us as, in that same way in regards to as a believer because we're a child of God. We're not going to perish because of it. But what will happen is he will correct us or chastise us. He will discipline us. If we're a child that's rebellious against the Father's word, he will, he will bring in correction. And Moses here is saying to the people, I love you. 
I've given my life. I'm about to die. God told me I'm going to die. I don't even get to go to the process. I gave my life to you, but I guarantee you, I'm never going to compromise my relationship with God. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> he's saying, I love God more than you. And so if, God, if you do and go against away from God, I'm going to run to God. I'm not going to run and follow you. I don't care what you're doing. I'm just telling you, I put God before anybody else. Anyone else goes against God, I'm not going their way. I'm going to follow God. And Moses made it very clear. Without hesitation, he would take the witness stand against these disobedient, proud Israelites. And he would, he would testify against them and warn them before, before God that they are surely will perish because of their pride and disobedience. And why did this all have to be said? Why did God tell Moses to warn the people about this? Why? Because they're about to go into the promised land where there was other nations, the world, and the world will tempt them to follow other gods, to do the worldly things, to live after the flesh, to live after your own intellect, live after your emotions, and just go with how it feels. Just free float. You'll learn as you go. You'll learn make mistakes, but you got to learn these things. This is, these are just not that's, not, that's not God's word. God's word says, this is what I say. Be obedient and trust me. You don't have to go test it and see if you're going to get hurt. I guarantee you're going to get hurt. The challenge is here when he gets into these, around these other nations, Israel would be tempted. And to look at these other nations, the people around them, judge them right up front and say, now we're better than them, so we're safe. We don't have to worry. No, no. God says through Moses, God will deal with them that way if they rise up with pride and disobedience, there's consequences. So I don't, don't deceive yourself getting around these other nations and think you're going to be just fine. You know, when you see the word perish, pride, I'd have to say, is the greatest danger in a Christian life. Why? Why do I say that? Why is pride the greatest danger in a Christian life? Because it's the most satanic. Why do I say that? Because Satan was fell because of pride. That is why it's the most satanic is because pride brought down Lucifer. Satan values a proud believer over the most wicked, notorious sinner. Do you know why? Because he looks at that proud believer and says, now there's a man just like me. You can have spiritual pride, do you know that? You can become self-righteous. We have to be very careful, my brothers and sisters, that we do not look at ourselves being a children of God and somehow better than anybody else. We're sinners saved by grace. We must stay humble, not only with our words, but in our heart. Amen?